Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to talk about numbers. Today, we're joined by Todd Tomalak, Principal of Building Products at Zonda, which is headquartered in Newport Beach, California, but spread throughout the country. Todd, who's located in Wisconsin, is going to give us some perspective on those numbers and then treat us to Zonda's housing outlook for the first quarter of 2023. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sean. A pleasure to join and can't wait to talk. Excellent. So, Todd, you know, many of our listeners may remember you as the person who has provided the economic forecast at BCMC for several years. Uh, but last year, you moved over to Zonda, and Ali Wolf, who is Zonda's chief economist, sort of took your spot on the BCMC stage, and she, she did a great job. I, I thought, though, that we could start by having you share a little bit about who Zonda actually is. Ellie does fantastic. I'm not surprised she did excellent. That's great to hear. Yeah, a little bit about Zonda. So Zonda is what I like to say the definitive data company for tracking the entire new construction building life cycle. So uh, to give you a sense, we've got about a thousand people overall. Uh, about half of those 500 are field researchers who are getting you know special data from the field on various lot sizes and pipeline of land and things like that. Uh, but really what we're doing is we're measuring uh, all the phases of construction from the very earliest when land is just getting penciled in to when construction equipment's being brought on site uh, to when the home finally gets configured and sold. So we have a satellite imagery company that tracks early construction stages. As soon as they're dragging con uh, equipment on site, we see it, we know it, we flag it. So it allows us to really measure things like cycle time when they're bringing the trusses and the components on site. We, we know it too. And it's all powered by artificial intelligence and computer vision. So uh, that can pick it up so much more precisely than a human who's trying to, to make phone calls. So more, more definitive data than what the census collects, certainly more granular at the lot level. And we have uh, a lot of visibility all the way down the cycle even to where the homes get finally configured and delivered. Uh, we have a virtual reality business, just to give you some sense. The, a lot of the large builders use when uh, people are, are trying to exploring what their new home community might look like, how they would configure their home. Um, obviously, those are things that touch all different parts of construction. But, but what it does is it gives us really unique perspective on where the housing market is going and kind of where things begin to stick and take off too. So, Todd, I mean, if I can put that in layman's terms, I mean, I, I have to admit that as you're giving that description, I'm like, it's no longer Big Brother is watching. Zonda is watching what's going on. But I mean, you really are leveraging a great deal of today's technology and the tools and capabilities that that, that technology provides to really collect a lot of data and then quickly analyze that data and, and put it into basically bite-sized pieces that those of us who are engaged in various stages of the construction industry can understand. And so you, you get a good sense of like what is actually happening out there 
in a mic all the way from the macro level to the micro level. That's exactly right. And you know, uh, especially in some of these smaller markets, there's always a story of we would always kind of discount using the old tools, census data. You know, they don't collect it very well in these tiny markets. It's only once a year. It's not really that reliable. The data is inconsistent. And even in the larger markets, it's only what's been reported. What we're learning is technology is really allowing us to very thoughtfully and accurately learn all sorts of things, even at, at very, very specific locations. Uh, so we're, we're as close to the ground as it gets for measuring construction. And as you pointed out, even with a virtual reality business, it's like Zonda isn't just one thing. You guys are doing a lot of things in the, the residential construction space, right? Yeah. If it touches residential construction, it's fair to say that we're integrated in some way. And I hadn't mes- mentioned this before, but we also own a, a whole bunch of publications that a lot of your listeners already are familiar with. Builder Magazine, uh, the Journal of Light Construct. I mean, these are trade-worthy vintage publications that there's you know a lot of uh, engagement that happens around. Uh, so it also brings us really close to the pro and to the installers to understand like what type of products are they putting in and what do they like and what do they dislike. So if it touches residential US, even somewhat outside the US, but if it touches residential, uh, we have our finger in it, uh, likely in more than one spot. Well, and you raise a really good point, Todd, is that you're not just relying on that passive digital analyst to, to collect that data. There's a lot of avenues that Zonda has to sort of collect that real world, real time feedback from boots on the ground. Yeah. And, and sometimes the boots on the ground data, like the, the color that we get from those who have been installing and swinging a hammer uh, is so practical and much more useful than you know what you might collect in any type of like census report or any traditional survey mechanism. That's sometimes where the best gems are. Well, it's also a a uh, really important feedback loop. I mean, that's the big thing with numbers, right? It's like on one hand, you can look at a data set and make it say whatever you want it to say, but if you have that feedback loop verifying or contradicting what your conclusions are, that's a really powerful tool to have, right? Do you remember early into the pandemic? when a lot of the traditional data showed that uh, supply chains looked pretty healthy and pretty good. But if you talked to, say, someone who worked anywhere near shipping or in a port or in trucking, it was super, super clear, like the, the, the pain is coming. Uh, you just haven't seen it. And then sure enough, later on, all that things would, would show. So we're, we're seeing the same type of principle where if we listen, then we're deliberate in you know, what we ask and then really try to digest uh, there's so much signal that comes from the people that are way in the weeds on things that don't necessarily get measured well. And then what what, what they don't see, hopefully our technology is able to pick up in aggregate. And what that doesn't see, then we're, we have another avenue. So uh, yeah, re- re- really in the, in the, current, the current forecasting environment, you know, which is where I spend a lot of my time, I just spend countless amount of time worrying about being wrong. So to have more than one kind of finger up in the air trying to sense the winds of change early, early on, usually tells us where we'll be wrong. And then we can go sniff further on using other resources that we have. But yeah, now, now it's an exciting time, at least to be you know trying, trying to gauge how things are shifting. Well, Todd, you made a very important observation, which is it was easy in that early pandemic time period or any time period to have the, the media cycle and the, the standard telltale 
uh, metrics saying things are fine or things look all right or whatever it is. But if you really do listen well and you know where to listen and you are seeking out that information, you can learn that, okay, it might be fine right now, but it's not going to be fine in a very short period of time, right? And so you can begin to make better business decisions based on more full information about what is in reality going on out there and what might be coming, which is kind of the purpose for this this particular podcast, right? Is we want to get into that forecast of like, what are you guys seeing and hearing and what might that translate to in 2023? But before we get there, I just want to make sure that everybody knows sort of where you fit within Zonda because you're kind of new there. Can you share just a little bit? You know, I learn a lot from all the the various LinkedIn posts that you put out there, and not all of them are directly housing related necessarily. I mean, they are related, but sometimes it seems very tangential. Can you can you just talk about what your goal is within uh, the building products area within Zonda? Yeah. Uh, so really, I have kind of two roles within the company, but they fall under the same umbrella. Uh, at the core, my job is to knit together all of the disparate sources of information that we're gathering into what it means for building products and a you know manufacturing thesis. So if we hear uh, cycle times changing and something that we can measure, that's going to have some really unique implication. So then we would think through kind of how the pieces on the board move and what it means for manufacturers. Uh, same thing with shifts between products and brands, anything that we're hearing from the pros. So we, we are in in the business of trying to understand how the industry is shifting and then what it means, say, for the next year, two years, or slightly beyond that uh, from a strategy standpoint. Practically, what that means is we get involved with manufacturers and product companies uh, either through a custom study, like they'll hire us to go look at a really tough question. Uh, you know, How come in my footprint we're seeing a certain type of really unique sales activity? Or how much exposure do I have? Interest rates went from, from 3% up to 7% for mortgage rates and my business hasn't really felt it yet. So, so should I worry? Am I insulated? Is this going to, you know, is this going to hit me in the middle of next year? What should we believe? So we'll unpack those type of questions for them on a custom basis. Or, uh, we also have a subscription package where basically they can get access to kind of our, our latest and best ideas for a fraction of the cost of actually hiring someone like us on staff or in house. We kind of plug into their research team or into their finance team, and they can kind of tap us on demand on questions. But then they're they're kind of leveraging all the things that we're learning that are boiling to the surface. So uh, I, I'm there as the the knowledge conduit of uh, kind of research and discovery to think through what the thesis will be for building products from all the pieces that we're learning. That's a lot. Now you clearly do this pretty well. I mean, I recently saw you won three prestigious forecasting awards from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Congratulations on that. Given that, uh, hopefully our listeners know that what you're about to share with us, you kind of know what you're talking about, and you have a lot of different sources of information to get that. So without further ado, would you mind sharing a little bit about what Zonda thinks is going to happen in housing during the first quarter of 2023? I don't want to offend any, any listeners, but let me just preface this by saying, if you're a manufacturer, if you're a building products related company, uh, I think you are much better situated than most of the builders. And that's not to put throw any, any shade at any of the individual builders either. Um, but, but part of what we see happening is kind of two different stories. Overall starts obviously declining. We're seeing that beginning to kind of unravel right now on the single family side. Single family starts are going to be down significantly 
ballpark of minus 20 to minus 30%, say for Q1 next year. Uh, building product companies that sell to single family, if you're selling trusses or other products, uh, you're going to do better than the number I just quoted, probably 7 to 9% better than that number. Uh, just due to the kind of the delayed backlog of projects, improvement of cycle time gives you, you know, some extra periods of revenue recognition that should show up in the first half of next year. That's a big deal. It means that it's going to feel like you're gaining share versus some of your peers and you probably have a little bit more pricing power than you're used to coming into a downturn. On the multifamily side, I mean, I'm sure your listeners are seeing this left and right. The multifamily business is a very different business than the, the single family right now. So uh, if they're looking at building product revenue to a multifamily, you might be looking at positive numbers in the in Q1 next year, even though the overall market's softening. So part of that's that you have this big backlog of multifamily projects that were started uh, just a few months ago that would just still be dollarizing. And also you've got this you know, significant backlog of uh, units that were, the permits are already pulled for multifamily, but they haven't been started yet. That's up 20% versus where it, where it was to start this year. Uh, and uh, as long as rents continue to at least see somewhat stable, they're softening right now versus, you know, the pace that they were growing before, uh, we should still continue to see some of that backlog come online. But uh, if I had to choose a number kind of out of the air of what I think the typical building product component manufacturer would see for Q1, I would say, you know, unit wise, think about about maybe minus 10% next year, realizing that it's a pretty kind of in unfavorable comp. But it's going to look really, really different based on multifamily versus single family, you know, uh, exposure and location. And just to give you a sense, uh, like cancellation rates from the builders that we're seeing in areas like Phoenix are, are just through the roof. So, you know, seven, zero, 70 percent cancellation rates for, for Phoenix, like hor- horrible numbers. Uh, but in other markets, it looks like we're seeing a little bit more stable or normalizing. Uh, Colorado was really severe. It's coming back a little bit. We're seeing some kind of elevated but maybe more similar to what we saw in 2018 and 2019 pre-pandemic cancellation rates. Traffic is down. You know, we measure it weekly. Traffic's down a lot, but the quality of the traffic in the last two months is actually relatively high. We're seeing conversion rates of people like walking through homes, exploring communities better than it was in 2018 and 2019, but obviously worse than it was last year, just super high. You know, we're kind of fishing for where the bottom is from like the the marginal consumer right now and overall you know i i would still say negative numbers for q1 because of kind of the unusual macro dynamic going on and i am very bearish about the broader economy i should mention that too but uh i like building products i think building products has got some unique things uh that kind of give you some additional protection versus just the overall starts number so i i mean if i'm to summarize that todd I, what i hear you saying is that Yes, you know, the mainstream media, all the headlines, everything that you're going to hear is going to be pretty negative. They're going to be very focused on that. High interest rates, everybody leaving, Fed's going to raise interest rates more, inflation's slowing down but it's still very high, like builders are are panicking all over the board. They're reaching very low numbers as far as their sentiment going forward. But at the end of the day, um there's a lot of backlog. There's a lot still going on. Um, I think you and I talked about this ahead of time. It's not like the what's really changing. The builders are going from keeping their foot buried on the floorboard to moderately accelerating. I mean, am I hearing that right? I think the strategic negotiation dynamic is different now than it might have been in prior cycles too. And I'm not trying to take sides in the negotiation, but 
like this is this is one way to think about it. Um, if you were to listen to the most recent earnings calls from some of the builders, very clear signal shift towards market share preservation, right? So shifting from overall dollar volume towards unit volume, willing to sacrifice margin in some cases because they want to maintain their market share. Mm -hmm. And there is this backlog. Uh, like I said, we spend so much time tracking land and the pipeline of land and what the future development is going to be. There is this backlog of land work in progress, which is not yet you know, really, really come online in terms of what, what should have been starts. Wasn't there the last two years that's on the balance sheets of land bankers. Uh, some builders have some exposure there too, but I, I think we're, we're in a situation where the market is extremely labor constrained. And that's probably true of all your clients that are listening and paying attention. It's true of the builders too. So you've, you've got the situation where backlogs are relatively favorable. If you see cycle times normalize, well, that's good for building product companies. And in a labor constrained environment, it's good to be a company that can scale kind of based on some sort of capital, you know, outlay. It's, that's, that's how manufacturing works, which tends to be more your, your listeners. So, you know, in that environment, when, when things eventually bottom and it, 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 the housing numbers are going to look horrific for, you know, for what you see coming in from CNBC or from some of the other, you know, kind of the, the press that focuses just on the housing transaction count. But I would rather be a supplier on the product side and say, uh, trying to cobble together the 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 install volume and the land coordination when 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 land is you know obviously something is a very very expensive and hard to move and very value conscious versus uh, on the product side if we see if we see housing stabilize and begin to bounce you're going to just be in a much more favorable position so yes uh, expect decline in revenue next year double digits but so much better than if you were on the other side of that trade. Uh, which would be trying to deal with the land part of the business, which just has more risk. At the end of the day, I mean, is 2023 really a readjustment year? Everybody's readjusting. Um, we've all been running at breakneck speed. And it strikes me that, you know, for all of those people who are feeling a little bit of panic because they can still so easily remember 2007 through 12. We're not in an overbuilt environment. We aren't at a highly leveraged environment. This is a totally different ballgame that we're facing at the moment, right? Yeah. Uh, let me give you maybe another proxy to think about. So the question that comes back the most is, oh my goodness, I don't, please tell us that we're not in 2007, 2008, because we all, we all were there. We remember it. It was horrific, right? Housing was, was the part of the market that just exploded and blew up. Um, this is not 2007 and 2008 because we don't have the same type of subprime exposure. We don't have no. There very well could be other financial contagion in other sectors that happens. We don't. We don't know, right? You can't predict these things until they occur. But look what's going on with crypto right now. But it's crypto. It's not. It's not mortgages, right? So, so like by virtue of just where where, where things are starting to melt down, it's not related to kind of the sector we play. I think that what's really different too is this. You know, you you made the comment about uh, being underbuilt. Now, there are such huge discrepancies on what people believe about whether or not we're underbuilt or by how much the NAR you know, throws out numbers like 6 million. I think that's way too much. But I do think that we're roughly, say, 2 million underbuilt. The reason that's really interesting to me coming into this kind of softening. So there is one period in time that we can look back you know, in, in, in kind of the, the history books and point to the US market facing a 300, 350 basis point kind of Fed rate hike within an eight-month period, and 
we saw uh, underbuilding, you know, backdrop for for U.S. residential construction. It's not the '70s. Everyone goes back to the '70s and '80s because that's the most recent inflation period that we kind of can think of, and we have it in recent memory. Uh, that's not the one. You got to go back further to beyond where the traditional census data goes to uh, actually right right after World War One when it ended. Uh, we saw a brand new wet behind the ears Fed, which had not gone through any major cycles yet. They just were founded in 1914 when when the war started. They raised the rates roughly at the same pace that we're seeing right now. In fact, slightly faster. They didn't have a dual mandate. They drove the broader economy into an outright depression. It was a short-lived depression, but a depression with you know what we might view as like a worst-case scenario consequence: deflation, in fact, double-digit deflation. The Dow was down forty percent. I mean, you you list the things that went wrong in the broader economy. It happened in nineteen twenty and nineteen twenty-one because it was a big policy error. They didn't even measure the economy the same way. But what's really interesting about that story for me is you had basically the Fed do all what we might view as the wrong moves on the board. They raised rates too fast. They caused a depression. They caused outright deflation. There was you know, carnage in Wall Street. But that's the only case study where we have the market that was actually about three years underbuilt. And so we could see how that played out, even like, like in a worst case scenario. And in that instance, what we saw happen was, according to the data that we have available, that housing fell by about 20% when the broader economy collapsed. Uh, there was pain initially. But the moment that prices stabilized and rates came down just a fuzz, maybe 50 basis points, not the full 350 basis points that had you know been hiked up, we saw housing surge 80%. And then it surged another 80% the year after that and remained at that level for about the following five years. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen in this case or that's where even as a company what we're forecasting. All I'm pointing to is that in this re- weird combo we have of like rapid, rapid, rapid tightening and underbuilding is a very unusual kind of mix of ingredients to have. There's only one that we have in the history books. And when, it, when, we, did, when we did go through it, underbuilt kind of narrative, if that really is what's happening right now, actually it played out okay. If you could choose one part of the economy in 1920 to go kind of relive, you would have wanted to been attached to housing. That just comforts me a little yes. bit to think about you know what kind of this... As more crypto firms blow up, like, you know, boy, I'm glad that we're tied to building products and housing versus other categories. doesn't mean we won't cycle, but uh, it makes me feel better in the long run. Excellent. Todd, thank you. This has been so enlightening. Thanks for being on the podcast. A treat to join. Thank you, Sean. Well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast and whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com. Component Connection.